I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? Let it out. I want you to hit me. Trust me. Come on. Come on. Stop trying to hit me and hit me. Hit me, baby, one more time. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to Hit Me One More Time, the Nostalgia Reflection Podcast, where we look at the things that we loved when we were younger and ask the question, is this good? I'm David Luzader, and with me, of course, as always, the man with the shovel, it's Nick Shermooksness. Nick, hello. That's crazy. I literally was going to try and interrupt you and uh, announce myself as the shoveler. Um, you, you have real so... shoveler energy. I I can see it honestly. I, I really think if I did like a BuzzFeed quiz for the topic that everyone already knows about that we always sort of you know lean into slowly, uh, I would totally get the shoveler. I think. Yeah, I I mean I considered if I if I brought up any other one, if I called you Mister Furious, I know you would come in here being like, "Why am I Mister Furious?" Yeah, I mean I, I go to therapy, so I mean I got it. Like, I I can't lift the bus either. Actually, he couldn't either. So yeah, anyway, that's, not a, uh, that's a pretty <laughs> normal right thing in. to not be able to do, Nick. <laughs> I mean, I'd be surprised if anybody could lift a bus, but there's someone that we have yet to introduce that maybe can lift a bus. I don't know. I haven't asked him. That is our guest who has brought our topic, and that is Tony Pacitti of What Did We Miss? Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I don't think I could lift a toy bus, never mind an actual <laughs> Well, there we go. The three of us, incapable of lifting buses. Maybe if all three of us worked together, we could break our backs attempting. I don't even think three of us trying could get that going. Tony, oh, uh, thank you for being here today. Now, what did we miss? Uh, I'm not just asking that question. That is the, the, the name of, of your project here. What is that all about? What is what did we miss? Sure. So... What did we miss? Uh, my co-host Matt Ferreira and I like to describe it as um, uh, the podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots. Mm. So uh, every other week, we we pick a different topic, um, you know, piece of pop culture, whether it's a, a film, uh, an album, comic book, video game, TV, um, something that one or both of us has for one reason or another uh, just never got around to, uh, and it, you know, it runs the gamut. We do. Some big things that uh, are kind of surprising, uh, some deep cuts. Uh, we have guests that come on with uh, with their ideas. So uh, our first episode was uh, THX 1138. We oh, nice. are both these big Star Wars fans and had made it to uh, our mid to late 30s, having never seen Lucas's first movie. So that kind of felt fitting. Um, but in uh, our most recent episode just came out uh, and uh, I listened to fiona apples when the pawn for the first time so we're covering a lot of ground that's awesome that like yeah that's that's great i love stuff like that i'm a little bit little bit akin to this in like a little bit of a way another frequent guest and, and friend of the show tv's travis he has a, a podcast called wait you haven't seen that's very similar where that's just focused around movies where it's like people's movies blind spots so i went on that one and did uh, Saving Private Ryan because I had never seen that movie, and we have we have plans for this Christmas for me to come on and do It's a Wonderful Life because I've I've gotten to almost my mid thirties not seeing a movie that apparently everyone else in the world has seen. Well, you know, I think one thing that we kind of 
discuss a lot in our show uh, is, you know, and I mean, that's a great example. Uh, it's a wonderful life. It's something when things become so just ubiquitous, you just kind of take for granted. They're always going to be there. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's a movie from the what, the 30s or the early 40s. Um, yeah, something like you know, that. Uh, regardless of its its cultural, uh, uh, you know, uh, cachet. I mean, you know, there's a bit of forgiveness after uh five or six decades removed from the, 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 you know, the topic. Thank you for absolving me of my sins. Um, fun fact about that movie. And we'll get to the topic. I swear. I just, I, I love this fact about it's a wonderful life. Uh, that movie was bombed at the, at the box office did terribly. And they'd forgot to renew the copyright on it, uh, which is the reason why it fell into public domain, which is why people started showing it all the time around Christmas. And that's the reason the movie is like so well known and so popular is because it was free for channels to show because it did so bad at the box office. They just didn't care to renew the like ownership of it. But this movie, not in the public domain yet, we can only hope one day it will be so we can show it around Thanksgiving. I don't know. This doesn't fit with a holiday. It doesn't fit with anything because it's Mystery Men. Mystery Men, this 1999 superhero comedy film details the story of a team of lesser superheroes with unimpressive powers who are required to save the day. This is the part of the show where we talk about our own personal histories with the topic. Right now it's Mystery Men. Tony, you brought this to the show. You're our guest. What is your personal history with Mystery Men, and why did you want to bring it here today? Sure. Uh, So, you know, this is not a movie I have, you know, thought much about in a while, but realized... uh, uh, there are bits and pieces of it that that have really stuck with me. Uh, I remember when this came out in 99, uh, uh, being really excited about it. I don't think I saw it in theaters. I know my family rented it and my dad and my sister and I howled through the whole thing. And uh, my mother kind of got up and discussed at the end and was like, I can't believe anyone enjoyed that. <laughs> um, never mind the three of you and kind of stormed out of the room. Um, but, you know, it, it really checked a lot of boxes for me. It was it was funny. It, um, you know, it was a send up of, of superhero, uh, you know, team coming together stories, um, superhero mythology, the, the sort of pomp and circumstance of being a superhero. Watching it again, I'm realizing uh, this does a lot of things that uh, the Venture Brothers does really, really mm. well. That sort of world building and the you know, the, the, the bickering at the diner between uh, uh, da- uh, moments of daring do. Um, yeah, if, and, you know, uh, I think because Nick and I uh, have a history of being friends when we were in high school and, and specifically bonding around comic books and in this post-MCU world, uh, this felt like a good time to revisit Mystery Man. I think that's very fair, Nick. What's your history with Mystery Men? I don't have like a like a memorable memory other than I know I watched it and I remember liking it a lot and then it just sort of kind of fading away into the background of of everything else. Um but it was it was a film that probably in the early 2000s maybe I had watched it like every year for two or three years like it was it was a film that i, I really enjoyed i liked the characters i, I really liked their the, their underdog 
status. I was a big sucker for underdogs, including the character underdog. Um, unrelated, un, not relevant. Um, but um, yeah, so it's it's when when Tony suggested it as the topic, I was it was a show that I would love, not a show, a movie that I would love to revisit. And uh, I guess you'll find out if uh, it was worth visiting or not soon. I get revisiting. That. Yeah, Nick and I, again, have fairly similar history. Sounds like fairly similar histories for all of us. Um, you know, I saw this movie when it came out, um, around when it came out. I don't remember if I saw it in theaters, uh, but I do remember in high school having a little bit of a resurgence of it, primarily around my friend Sean, who loved to quote uh, Squeegee Man. Squeegee Man is one of the heroes from the audition for, for different superheroes. And uh, that was one. I think he actually went as Squeegee Man for some spirit day at our school one time. And like most people in high school, at the age that I was in high school, I had a liking for Dane Cook. Okay, look, I get it. Dane Cook is easy to, to dislike and hate on. I was a teenager, whatever. And, uh, and he's in this movie briefly. So I remember that like being a, a thing that also brought up the resurgence. A little bit unlike Tony, though, and maybe a little bit unlike Nick, I think about this movie a lot. I don't know why, but this movie is just kind of always on my mind, readily and easily accessible. Maybe it's because of the incredibly star-studded cast. Maybe it's because of my love for Tom Waits. I don't know. We'll get into all of these different various aspects of this film. Before we do, though, Nick, what is the world's history with Mystery Men? Sure. The uh, Well, the film Mystery Men actually originated as a team of characters introduced in the comic book series Flaming Carrot Comics, starring the Flaming Carrot by cartoonist Bob Burden. Burden refers to the character as the world's first surrealist superhero. Flaming Carrot Comics uh, has been published by several publishers over the years, though has not been seen since 2006. Over the course of Flaming Carrot's history, it was established that he was a founding member of a blue-collar superhero group called the mystery men although flaming carrot uh himself did not appear in the film um though other characters that did originate from the the comic did um at the time the book was being published by dark horse comics and publisher mike richardson pitched the mystery men concept to producers larry gordon and lloyd levin levin was taken by the concept and the film was announced in 1997 along with a plethora of other comic book adaptations including superman lives uh, which promptly died um <laughs> The production shifted around a lot. Danny DeVito was almost set to star and direct, but dropped out. Uh, and then a commercial director named Kinka Usher signed on to direct, and Janine Garofalo uh, joined the cast and convinced Ben Siller to sign up as well. Other notable actors include Hank Azaria, Az Azaria, one of, one of Azaria. William H. Macy, Greg Kinnear, and Kel Mitchell. The film was written by Neil Cuthbert. Uh, it was released August 6th in 1999, and although it was received positively by critics, it was a box office bomb. And just a, a couple of fun facts that might spur some conversation. Uh, ben Stiller was offered the Blue Raja role, but wasn't interested in playing a nerdy character or a nerdy guy again. Uh, Mystery Men is considered Jeffrey Rush's first Hollywood film, and the original ending was unpopular with test audiences, so Usher shot a new ending with a big cheer finish, which I didn't find anything on what the original ending was then, other than apparently not a big cheer finish, which makes me curious how the film originally intended to end. There you go. Uh -huh. I do want to start with a topic of conversation from here, which is, who was Danny DeVito going to play? And was it Captain Amazing? Because 
I can only hope. I mean, I, I can picture Danny DeVito being a great shoveler. I think, you know, I, I think he'd be a, a little too Danny DeVito about it. Right. There's just the, mm-hmm. I mean, William H. Macy plays such a great, like, middle of the road drip. Like the flat, like the, the sort of like, you know, 50s dad mm-hmm. flat top. Um, right. His, his very, uh, yeah, I think Danny DeVito would probably be a, a little too close to a, a, an angry shoveler. And I think that would cut in on Mr. Furious's bit. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I was also thinking like shoveler is probably who it would be, but William H. Macy, I can't picture anyone else in that role. I got to say, the casting in this movie throughout is pitch perfect. Everybody who is in every single role just like does it so well. I can't think of like, oh, well, I would love to see like this person in the role because that would mean we wouldn't have Greg Kinnear or Jeffrey Rush or Hank Azaria. It's like they all just do such a good job. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I'm used to Greg Kinnear in like dickish roles. Oh, go ahead, Tony. I was just going to say, I, I can't. I think what was very surprising was how game everybody is. Like, no, mm. nobody like. Uh, seems like they're slumming it. Uh, <laughs> and it's, you know, this is kind of like Ben Stiller is like on the rise at this point. Uh, you know, William H. Macy's coming off of Fargo. So like, but still manages to like to show up for the shoveler, which is nice to see. Um, yeah. Everyone seems really, uh, you know, invested in the, 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 the absurdity of the whole thing. So to right. that, there's something here from Ben Stiller, who he said the script is very fluid. He said that it was being reworked all the time by everybody, because everybody wanted to kind of personalize their part and try to make it as funny as possible. So yeah, that was welcome. So it seemed like it was a very collaborative set, and mm-hmm. um, it, it really like allowed them to make the characters their own, which again goes a long way of like why they feel so perfect for these characters, because they're not necessarily just reading the lines they got to maybe rework some of the lines to better fit how they were playing it or something like that. Yeah, Ben had said something along the lines of how Mr. Ferris was really just angry the entire time and he wanted to inject a little bit more like uh, insecurity and, and sort of a, a range into the character to, to challenge him more. I love, I love his insecurity. It's the best part of his character because e- even like the shoveler, the shoveler's pretty good with a shovel. You know, I shovel well. I shovel really well. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. Is one of William H. Macy's many beautiful lines in this film. Uh, <laughs> Blue Raja is effective in... Th- he's, he does well with, like, throwing. You know, he has to gain a little more confidence himself. But Ben Stiller, Mr. Furious's whole thing is, yeah, I, I want to be a superhero, but I don't have anything going for me. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to be angry. <laughs> um, yeah. He, um, I think Stiller had said that he, um, he, he designed the character around basically being the one that starts the band, but is actually the least talented <laughs> in the band. So it fits. Oh, wow. That's yeah. really apt. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, especially because this world presents this sort of, uh, you know, professional amateur dynamic where, you know, Captain Amazing is this rock star superhero. Um, and they do feel very much like, uh, you know, a bar band just kind of scraping by for gigs. And, you know, we need a, 
you know, we need a bigger sound. So let's have auditions for new players. It's, um, it, yeah, it's very scrappy in that way. Yeah, you said it's it's almost like a, a a precursor in some ways to like the boys or My Hero Academia or One Punch Man, where being a superhero is as much about heroics as it is about basically being a celebrity, getting endorsements, things like that. Oh, yeah, I was I was thinking that this movie is still like relevant in some of the way that it takes on superhero tropes, just as relevant like now with superheroes being arguably bigger and the MCU being as big as it is um, as much as it was in like 1999, where it was this weird little indie film where this would probably now come out on like Netflix and, and have a bit of a life there. But Tony, you said earlier that this movie does a lot of world building very well. And I agree with that fact. Like when Captain Amazing shows up and he's wearing all these different logos on his suit, like that lets you know, that keys you in immediately to to the dynamic of the world, to, you know, who Captain Amazing is. It it really does a lot very well with the visual storytelling, along with the way that they all kind of interact with one another. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I had really forgotten how um, Champion City really kind of feels like Joel Schumacher's Batman and oh, yeah. uh, the Los Angeles and Blade Runner mm -hmm. kind of match together. You've got these big, like, ridiculous and, and uh, excessive gothic architecture, but then you get the pyramids and then you've got the, like the Pepsi logo, but it has, um, you know, whether it's, it's Japanese or, or some other Asian text on it. And there's a lot of multicultural sort of signifiers around the background to sort of show this, uh, you know, more melting pot kind of uh, near future city, which, uh, I mean, I love that kind of stuff. It had a very lived in kind of feel to it. Yeah. And I felt that was really strong too when the shoveler went home and he's living in the suburbs, but still from where he is, you can see the city looming just like in the background. And it's like, you don't really escape this sort of like setting of, of the city. Mm. Yeah. So I didn't remember you the city said... being called Chan. Oh, no. <laughs> um, you, so you had mentioned, you know, thinking like if this had come out now, it would, you know, drop on Netflix and, and maybe because, uh, you know, filmgoers have sort of been rewired to, un, you know, to really like get the superhero stuff that this was lampooning, uh, you know, maybe a little too soon. I think my concern there is like, we wouldn't have gotten that big production design. I think it probably would have been a much more hmm. uh, kind of flavorless looking movie. I'm sure it still would have been funny and like all the quirks would have been there, but uh Man, it's, you know, the biggest special effect in this superhero movie is is the city. Uh, and I think that does a lot to really imbue the, the movie with some style and character, which, again, I was, I was surprised that it was as uh, stylish when I revisited it. Right. The, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I, I was thinking about that. The, and you had mentioned it earlier, too, was this movie if it was to come out today, it would be a reflection of like the last 20 years of superhero movies. Whereas in some ways, like even though there had been multimedia superhero properties in like the nine eighties or whatever, like in 1999, like it was really still more spoofing off superheroes as like a comic book prop medium more so mm -hmm. than just the various things that have ballooned in, in, in the films to this day. And I, I would agree that like, I would just imagine it being like an overly washed out like CGI fest and just not have the same 
charm and heart um, that it currently does. Yeah, that's certainly a risk. I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. Um, and it's just it's just such a fever dream of of a movie in so many ways. And really, like indie comics in the '90s were because they were. It was kind of this reaction to, and that's when Image Comics started and all that. And it was kind of the reaction to how Marvel and DC had been doing everything. So you had all these different takes on superheroes, stuff like the flaming carrot being odd, and then this weird little team of of heroes who turn around and get made into a movie that had a lukewarm reception, but still somehow has a little bit of a life. And I'm super thankful for it. And I think also, you guys are right that it maybe would be a bit washed out now today, and we wouldn't get the weird and still very disturbing scene of Greg Kinnear getting killed in that machine. That is, it's it's very CG, like 90s CGI, you know, it doesn't look amazing, but it's still decent enough body horror that it makes me go, oh. Oh, yeah. That's like, that's like classic, too. That's like typical 90s gross out. Um, you know, that, that feels like you're, you're looking at like a, like a really gross late night MTV, like claymation yeah. commercial bump <laughs> replacing Greg Kinnear's face. Um, yeah, that, that, that's, it's, it's wonderful. And it's, the whole thing is so campy too. Like, um, all the, the, the evil gangs are, you know, yeah. it feels very much like a, a sort of like postmodern twist on like, uh, Batman 76 with, I mean, just the, the sort of, you know, excessively themed henchmen. Uh, right. And so like we had, you know, the frat guys, which featured um, Michael Bay was the, the sort of lead frat boy. Was in this he? Movie. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He's, oh he's, 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 he's the one who asks if they can bring their brewskis with them. Dude, can we uh, bring the brewskis? Yes, of course. You may absolutely bring the brewskis. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just and, it's the, there's so it, like there's so much charm really dripping out of every frame. Uh, I'm really yeah. Oh man, the this, scene, this is a lot of fun, man. <laughs> the scene where where Jeffrey Rush is, or Casanova Frankenstein, which that name, oh, beautiful Casanova Frankenstein. <laughs> but when he's going around and just naming the different weird like big tobacco, the Disco Boys. Uh, the frat boys, the suits, the Susies, the not so goody mob, and like all you get, we get them for a shot, and then later on they're getting wiped out by the the mystery men as they're going through. But it's it goes back to that world building of it's all for nothing. These characters don't matter. It's a one second gag, but it's also perfect. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, so much of the you know the joy of of comics is that stuff that kind of happens in the background in the market and you're like that constant reminder that oh like beyond the immediate conflict and the, and the you know the, the a-level characters is this whole wacky weird world and like mm-hmm. someone's gonna eventually give uh you know tony p and tony c from the disco boys their own spin-off miniseries and i can't wait oh uh, if eddie disco is still not game, dead disco is life disco's disco's not dead disco is life disco is not dead disco is life if Eddie Izzard's still game, I would still watch it. Actually, that's a good question. Would anyone want a Mystery Men sequel with like no. all the actors that are still alive today reprising their roles? No. 
uh, which by the way, I think every actor is still alive today, but also I, I didn't, I didn't double check. I, I hoped, but I, I just assumed. Oh. Uh, Greg, Greg Kinnear actually died in that psycho. We <laughs> 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 haven't seen him in a lot of movies. He's just lately. been CGI True. Other than that, windshield wiper one. I think that's honestly the last Greg Kinnear movie I think I saw. What is he doing these days? I don't know, man. I mean, he had a, he voiced himself while a puppet of himself self on BoJack Horseman, and that's probably the last thing I saw him on. Uh, uh, he yeah. did that movie Stuck on You with Matt Damon a few years after this, where they were conjoined twins. Yeah, that weird movie exists. Oh yeah, nineties <laughs> were fun or early two thousands. We're still <laughs> figuring stuff out. So, so human society was young then. <laughs> sure. Um, in in mystery men there was I, i'm someone who's like like when it comes to music or movies like i i cannot recall dialogue ever no matter how funny i think it is at the time i just can't so thankfully i wrote some stuff down um and this movie just had it wasn't a movie that i was necessarily always like rolling with laughter at, at every gag or whatever but i could still appreciate some of the the the, the wittiness even if like i said if i wasn't like dying laughing things like uh Mr. Furious's line, uh, because I'll go Pompeii on your butt, uh, I think is is great. Uh, like the, the disco one we said before. Or the little exchange uh, where they're they're talking about if Lance Hunt and Captain Amazing are the same person. And uh, I, I, I know Shoveler was involved with this, but I think it was like, Lance Hunt wears glasses, Captain Amazing doesn't wear glasses. Lance Hunt wears glasses. Captain Amazing doesn't wear glasses. He takes them off and he transforms. That doesn't make any sense. He wouldn't be able to see. Like, what I loved about <laughs> William H. Macy's role and what Danny DeVille probably wouldn't have been able to pull off um, is like he really was like this earnest, like innocent, just blue collar guy. Like he really, he he had this, you know, he presumably he just goes and like his day job is working, like doing landscaping or construction or something like that. And he just, he's this guy that kind of comes home, like takes care of his family maybe. And, but just has like this bigger, almost like Mr. Uh, Popper from Mr. Popper's penguins. Uh, I don't know why I keep, yeah, I keep finding ways to tie lot. this back to Mr. Popper's penguins. Um, but he's so earnest and he's so innocent in a way um, and ambitious. And then there's like the beautiful scene where when they're trying to rescue captain amazing, he's got like these two, I don't even know what they are like, uh, not like nuts from like nuts and bolts or whatever, like holding him up towards um, Captain Amazing's face just to see um, if it's really him. I, don't know, I thought yeah. I thought uh, William H Macy was great. Yeah, he 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 is he is truly excellent. And like I I think um, you David, you had mentioned it earlier. Um, God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. Is like it's such a great line. It's so stupid, but again, he's so earnest about it. Uh, yeah, that was that's one that's that's one of those things that even though I don't think about the movie as a whole necessarily over the last twenty years, like that's a line that's just kind of burrowed in my head, and I will apply. Like God gave me a gift. I can blank well. I can blank very well when appropriate. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, Tom Waits is really good. He has some great lines, like. Um, uh, when someone calls him a genius and he's like, that's what the card says. Um, and just like, <laughs> yep. I don't know why that in particular, but I mean, his whole shtick is the, the mad scientist who makes non-lethal weapons, who cruises old folks homes for dates. 
Yep. It was amazing. That whole old folks scene in the beginning, too, I had totally blanked that out. Uh, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. But there, also amazing. I hope I get to go somewhere like that when I'm older. I'll let my kids know what I'm what I'm it, looking for. They're elaborate. Yeah, the elaborate I dance scene they're doing with the, all the people <laughs> on walkers going in <laughs> different circles. There's one line. Yeah, why do you keep making us watch Mystery Man? Because well, that's where I want to go. Right. I want you to. I want you to internalize all of this. There's a line that he has because the non-lethal thing like is amusing. But there's one line. If there's any line that makes me roll my eyes. It's when they're talking about the the vehicle they have to get, and he's like, "Wait, you have the the Herkemeyer Battle Jitney? <laughs> Such a weird name. That's the finest non-lethal military vehicle ever made." The finest non-lethal military vehicle ever made. As if like there was a point in the 60s that they were putting together non-lethal military vehicles and decided that was a bad idea later. But there was one that was just the cream of the crop. Right. <laughs> yeah, it really may, had more of a legacy than the, uh, the tank that shot the big punching the big box of <laughs> right. its cannon. Effective one time that somebody has to get out and pu- mm-hmm. push that thing back in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, all the all the inventions are so dumb. Like the can tornado, the blame thrower. Um, <laughs> the, the blame thrower was amazing. The, the blame thrower was really fun. We um, we talked about it a little bit earlier, William. William Nick, you mentioned William H Macy and his family. And I, I wanted to make sure I pointed this out because I think this movie should get more credit for the fact that it has an interracial marriage where nobody at any point mentions race on either side at all. Like, they are just a married couple. They have kids. There's stress on their marriage, sure, but ultimately they are, like, happy together. And even, like, today, that is an amazing accomplishment for a movie. And they did it in 1999 like it was nothing. Yeah, I kept waiting for the the cringy joke to happen, and it never it never did, which I was <laughs> very relieved. You know, and and not to say that this uh, sidesteps all of that. I think, especially in the uh, the superhero audition, there's there's oh, some yeah. some mild uh, misogyny and homophobia that uh, we probably did not think twice about in '99, but is pretty like. Like there's no reason for these two women to start pulling hair and and pulling right. each other on all fours. Like this is just, it's like yeah, let's yeah. throw a cat fight in. Why not? Right. Or a lot of stuff with the uh, the bowler with Janine Garofalo. Like like the 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 spleen is always hitting on her. Like she can't just be a character that's just part of the team. She's constantly being reminded about how like she's attractive and desirable. And please let me take you on a date or whatever. Or Ben Stiller's character having like a little romantic subplot where he tries to flirt and pick up the waitress, uh, who I still don't really understand why she said yes to him because he was so bad at it. But uh, <laughs> he's, you know, he's got a respect. bit of a charm, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Though, I mean, like you feel bad for him, but I don't honestly know if I'm going to take him on a date. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I mean, I think I think it was more the adrenaline of the situation of her almost dying. That was like well at the I, end, but I mean, like she still kissed him when it was just like, yeah, I gotta uh, go uh, rescue my friends. Like he could have just been given like the most bullshit line about you know to make himself look impressive. Like yeah, I gotta go rescue my friends from this super villain. But um, it wasn't until later that it was true that he was actually trying to do that. So in the heat of the moment, I totally I would kiss Ben Stiller too in the heat of the moment. But um, they didn't invite me to be in the movie. So. 
I mean, it's probably good. You, you I were like, underage at the time. <laughs> I was like 12 years old yeah, or something at the time. Nick, if, if somebody, when you were 12 years old, approached you and said, do you want to kiss Ben Stiller in a movie, you run away from that person as fast as you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm i okay now, guys. Thanks. Thanks for asking. Much much like, oh, dang, I forget. Much like Ray Liotta, warn your kids about strange men coming up to you <laughs> and offering for them to kiss Ben Stiller in movies. The bowler, though, Janine Garofalo, probably my favorite character in the movie like at the end of it she is i mean her character is badass first of all and then it's janine garofalo and she's great and the whole combination i just love it Mm -hmm. yeah and she's got some she's got some of those great uh you know lines that really parody like like the gritty origin story you know like explaining how her her dad fell down an elevator shaft and landed on some bullets. <laughs> yes, um, I love that. That's right. The police said it was an accident. He'd come home late one night and fell down an elevator shaft onto some bullets. You know, I've always suspected a beautiful foul play. As have I. And then they've got this really, like, dorky and also kind of uh, unhinged um, <laughs> living dead relationship where she's talking to... So her father's skull is preserved in a bowling ball. Yes. Uh, and she has full conversations awesome. with him. Uh, culminating <laughs> with, you know, at the end after, like, they save the day, she's like, that's it. I did, you know, you've been avenged. I'm going back to grad school. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> As if this whole thing was just like, okay, I'll go be, be a superhero until I can kill Tony P, and then I'll go back to grad school. And I, I love the part when, because there's a part where Mr. Furious decides I'm not going to be furious anymore and gives in to his insecurities a little bit and realizes he doesn't have that powerful anger. Uh, and they're going to like try to convince him. Well, you got a lot to be furious about and I'll tell you why. You're not well-liked. You're, uh, you're abrasive and off-putting. You try and say pithy things, but your wit is a hindrance. And so therefore nothing is provocative. It's just mixed metaphors. Now, doesn't that make you angry? It's and they're like, and you look like a male prostitute. Yeah, you dress like a male. Oh, the Sphinx. We haven't talked about the Sphinx yet. Ooh. Oh yeah, the Sphinx. Yeah, the only one with any kind of real superpower is that you only see the one time. <laughs> well, there's also invisible. Uh, there is this sort of legend that he. Oh, that's true. Yes, Invisible Boy also has powers. Uh, Kel, uh, but the Sphinx is, sort of shows up like cuts guns in half with his mind and then only speaks in like like fortune cookie you know like reverse <laughs> yes. like just garbage like if you want to go up first you have to go down kind of nonsense but again that's such a perfect play on superhero tropes and especially like comic book tropes and placing playing a little bit on like yoda right like do or do mm-hmm. not there is no try and fear leads to anger anger leads like all that sort of stuff Playing with the like the hero that shows up and or the mentor that shows up and says these things that sound really deep, but kind of the more you think about it, it's like no, that common or, sense. Yeah, or yeah, or it's just he, nonsense. Um, he yeah. who he questions had, training only trains himself at asking questions. questions. Was a good one. Yeah. To learn my teachings, I must first teach you how to learn. He had uh, he had twenty different with great power comes great responsibilities and they were all just the like just <laughs> complete garbage. Yeah. Or when Mister Furious calls him out and it's like your temper is, is quick, like but until you learn to master your rage, 
your rage will become your master. <laughs> and he turns it back on him like, <laughs> yeah. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. I, I liked when um, uh, uh, Mr. Furious was trying to balance something. I can't remember what it was that he was trying to balance. Uh, and he, he's obviously hammer? getting frustrated about it. Uh, and then he's just like, and why am I wearing the watermelon on my feet? <laughs> and the Phoenix looks and he's got watermelon on his feet. He's like, I, I don't remember telling you to do that. <laughs> and that, that hammer one was actually like... Oh, the hammer, it's, yeah. like Because the other ones were pretty dumb. But like the hammer one, it seems like someone's like, I get a, I'm going to put like an hour into this one. It's still going to be dumb, but it, it's going to be a road to get there. Because there was something about attack, ha- a balancing attack hammer, and then something about attack. And, it's, I don't, it was, okay, I got it here. It's, it's when you balance an attack hammer on your head, you will head off your foes with a balanced attack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to know who wrote these lines. Like The Sphinx's lines are so good. Neil Cuthbert, so apparently, with some ad-libbing, maybe, from the cast. Yeah, uh, West Studio, um, I want to call him out. He's a an indigenous actor. Um, great to see, again, in a movie. Like, the diversity in this movie. Mostly white, but you have more people of color than I think you see, really, in most superhero movies, even today. That's true. Uh, yeah, and, I, you know, I feel like this was the last... I mean, maybe not. This is the last big thing I remember Kel Mitchell being in, uh, yeah. which is weird because it seemed like it seemed like you know uh, Keenan and Kel were the duo on Nickelodeon, and then they both went and did the Good Burger movie together. And it seemed like maybe Keenan was kind of stalling out, and Kel's uh, star was on the rise. And uh, Keenan's been doing SNL for. 40 years now and, and has his own show he got his own show i don't yeah. know if it got renewed but he's his own show now yeah it and it's called it's like called keenan i'm pretty sure mm-hmm. oh, yeah it, it, it feels it's kind of like a like a modern spin on full house it's it's him and chris red and uh don johnson all living in a house together raising don Keenan's kids oh man what's nice. don johnson doing aside from being a racist and watchman Oh, okay. I was nervous for a oh, second. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, not in real life. I don't think Don Johnson <laughs> that is we know of. actually a member of the Ku Klux Klan just in that one TV show that one time. We hope. Don Johnson, don't be a racist. Oh, don't make me look like a fool. I'm quickly looking at, at Kel Mitchell, and um, apparently he's continued to do stuff. Lots of yeah, shorts. Yeah. He didn't know. Robot he chicken. Oh, that was one thing. Uh, lots of shorts and some maybe some minor roles in like TV series and stuff. Uh, and something called Game Shakers that went from 2015 to 2019. But I've never heard of that. Yeah, but like like Tony, I remember his star seemed to kind of be on the rise. Like of the two of them, it seemed like oh, Kel's gonna be the breakout and and going on to have this big career. And I mean. He's been working. I'm not going to say he's definitely not working, but not in the way of like, I don't remember any movie he was in aside from Mystery Men. And what a movie to have be like the, the pinnacle of your career, though. <laughs> the, 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 the jewel in any actor's crown, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. He was another one. There were so many characters because you'd mentioned earlier um, when the bowler was talking about her dad. Falling down elevator shaft and landing on bullets. God, that's such a good line. Uh, there's a few times where people are like waiting for the chance to give their backstory. 
And like he's one, and then also the spleen. But nobody wants to hear the spleens. Like nobody cares. But he's still like the first opening he's got. Paul Rubens is gonna interject. What a weird character. And again, no one else <laughs> could play that role except for Pee Wee Herman. Right, and, like and this he is got also by a witch, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. He didn't he 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 farted at an old gypsy woman or something. I think yeah, he blamed or, no, her. Or he blamed it. He blamed it on her, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> what a stupid. Uh, yeah. What? A, and what it was this is, you know. And again, I could be wrong here, but I feel like this was sort of the first time Paul Rubens was kind of put, uh, you know, closer to front and center after mm-hmm. you know his whole controversy earlier in the decade with, um, you know, while he was still doing Pee Wee Herman and the kids show and you know, kind of got caught at the porno theater. Uh, oh, you yeah. know, doing some lewd behavior. Um, and then for him to sort of like, hey, I'm back, baby, and I'm the guy who farts at people. Was, uh, I'm just so just yeah. disgusting person who no one's wanted to talk to for 10 years. Yeah, I do remember that being kind of, even back then, I remember that being kind of a big deal because, of course, we had all somehow heard, you know, Pee Wee Herman, this child actor, um, not child actor in the sense that he was a child. But that he was like had a show for kids, children's entertainment. Yeah, there you go. Which is weird, also because the character of Pee Wee Herman, when it originated, was like an adult kind of like an adult program. Like it was this character who was who would say very lewd things in very innocent ways, and somehow that over time transformed into him doing a kids show. Um, but I'm looking at it here, and I am I'm not looking into it too much, but really all I can tell is that he just was at a porn theater. And that's the whole reason that he like kind of got 90s canceled. And then this was his weird return playing this character. Yeah. I mean, Why I think not? I think the deal was he was caught uh, you know, utilizing the theater in a way one is not supposed to in public. But, you know, I guess shame on me for thinking that uh uh, you know, <laughs> people should do better than that at a porno theater. I don't know. It seems, it seems like a seems like a, a, a you know a weird rule to enforce. I mean, as long as the seats are far enough apart. Oh jeez, this is <laughs> you do you, Pee-wee. Society has lines, and he crossed them. <laughs> he did. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> what about the blue Raj? Hank Azaria with the blue Raja. It, Great. Would he fly today? I don't, I mean, like, he, he's, it's super hilarious in the film, but it also feels very, I mean, maybe the intention is that it's very appropriate um, in a way. I don't know if yeah. you got that vibe or. I mean, I think it would probably be played in an ironic way, kind of like, you know, I don't, I certainly don't think it's as far as, you know, um, Robert Downey Jr. doing blackface in Tropic Thunder to sort of lampoon these uh, you know, actors who think their like their craft is so important that they can cross these lines. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's a very kind of like tongue in cheek. Oh, my origin has its roots in uh, British colonialism in India. But if you know the history, it makes sense. It's it always gets <laughs> like half into the beginning of an explanation, and he's like, "It's just too complicated to read a book." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the character. Um... Yeah, I think it leans into, even back then, it was leaning kind of into the appropriation aspect of it, where he's very clearly, like, not a British guy putting on a British accent. 
but it's something you could get away with more because it's a white person doing a white person accent versus him, yeah. you know, coming in and trying to be like a Middle Eastern or an, or an actual Indian. And that would have just been horrifying. Well, I mean, which we say that, but he was at that point a decade into playing a poo on the Simpsons. So that's also uh, true. You know, you got me. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> <laughs> so he actually was playing an Indian at the time. But yeah. I did like Ooh. that the Blue Roger was was kind of like an. Uh, all, all these characters were kind of innocent in their own way, much like the Shoveler. Like there was just like a, a a childlike earnestness to all of them. Uh, and there was a great line uh, from uh, his mother towards the end of the film. Uh, he goes to kind of suit up, and he's like taking more like fine silverware and stuff from his mom's cupboard. Uh, and like when he finally explains like what his whole shtick is and. He's taking the the forks and the spoons or whatever, and she's like, "Well, you know, I I I was saving these for your wedding day, but from the looks of it, that's a long way off." Like, <laughs> yeah, that's <was> so funny. <laughs> oh, Blue Raja. Yeah, uh, and you know, all of them are are super earnest, and they all have their principles. Um, and I love like anytime someone suggests that he throws a knife, and he's like, he's like, "No, man, that's you know, it's." It's got to be the fourth, and you just don't understand. And like they're all so <laughs> protective of their their uh, personas and their own mythos, and it's very charming. Right, 100%. I think there's the same thing with the shoveler. The um, Tom Waits character, Doctor Heller, had suggested like if he used other weapons or something like that. Oh no, I think it was the Sphinx. Asked him if he used any other weapons, and he was like, "I just used the shovel." And then there was something about fists or whatever. But yeah, anyway, I agree. yeah, and he, he does at one point. He gets his shovel knocked away, and he does like pull out the little gardening spade, yeah, spade. <laughs> to block a, a, a punch. <laughs> um, there, there's also a throwaway line early, not early on, but like when they first kind of run in with the have a run in with the disco boys, and they pull guns on them, and they're like, "Ooh, you guys have guns! Like that's not even part of a theme. What's guns have to do with disco?" And then later, when they do the, like the assault on Casanova's mansion, all the bad guys are just strapped like two fisting like uzis and rifles and like it's yeah i mean it just kind of calls back like the bad guys don't give a shit about like they got the costumes that match besides that they're just right. gonna kill whoever they have to right for them it's, right. it's there's not that same sort of prestige of being a, a hero you know there's not the prestige of being a villain it's just like no i do bad things i happen to think that disco is life disco is life Though later, Eddie Izzard does do the thing with the uh, the hairspray, where he turns that into mm-hmm. a flamethrower. So, you know, he, he takes some notes, I guess. Sure. Sure. But you'd imagine that once word got out in Gotham that, like, Batman doesn't do guns, everyone's like, we just got to get more guns. <laughs> right. Have we tried right? shooting him? <laughs> if only he had a target on his chest. Which, like, in the shape of a bat or something, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Which was originally in the Nick, correct me if I'm wrong here. I think originally it is, they just drew that that way. And then later on put in the justification of like, no, I put that there on purpose. So people would shoot me there, but I wear protective armor. That sounds like a reasoning that some comic writer would put I know, when they're trying to find a new way to construct. It, I know it definitely Batman's. comes up in um, oh, yeah. the dark Knight returns. Yeah. I mean, and that's such a, you know, that's, that kind of thing oh, okay. gets gets sort of turned on its head a lot in this movie. Like the 
just the bananas justification for something as uh, as superficial, literally, is just like the thing on his shirt. Like there's a story behind it. Doesn't need to be, but like you know, right? They all care so much about that thing. Right. Maybe too much. Maybe. We've discussed a lot about this movie, but there's still so much more we could discuss. Before we wrap up and give our final thoughts, though, is there anything that we haven't mentioned that anybody wanted to bring up? Uh, the whole plot, the whole evil plot of the movie is kind of, is very clever. Like It all hinges on the fact that Captain Amazing is so good at his job that there are no legitimate threats anymore. So mm. he he rigs the parole board to let out Casanova Frankenstein, who is his like, you know, this legendary arch villain who's been put away for decades. Uh, and of course it all just goes to shit as soon as he gets out. Um, but like, that's such a clever, yeah. Like, of course Superman would, you know, eventually not have to be Superman, but they just kept inventing new, stronger, bigger bads. Right. But this, right. you know, the movie takes the idea, like, what if there are no bigger bats? And, uh, you know, how would, how, how, how much does a superhero's vanity play into whether or not they would let out, <laughs> uh, you know, their arch nemesis just for the, the thrill of the chase? Yeah. And so easily defeated, too, that he just, he put a little puff of, like, sleeping smoke in a little remote that he knew he was going to grab. That scene where... Their little scene together when he comes to like get him, even though he hasn't really. Well, no, he had blown up the the parole board, I think, at that point. Um, but the yeah. asylum, yeah, yeah. But they're like their scene together is just such classic superhero supervillain banter, and then it gets undercut by how unexciting their encounter really is. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, and like I had mentioned at the beginning, it feels it's that that repartee feels very venture brothers or whenever mm -hmm. the shoveler and blue raja are and uh mr furious are at the diner it feels like you know the any any assortment of venture brothers characters just kind of like gabbing about life stuff um i do like that the the one time uh anything the first time something really gets under captain Amazing's skin is when a reporter's asked is it true you lost your pepsi endorsement and he's like, I hadn't heard that. Right. And just like, and then goes off on his on his PR guy about how important it is that uh, you know he gets to represent these brands. And yeah. it's, uh, oh, it's all I very fun. Love that he he immediately gets in a limo after the encounter with his agent. Mm -hmm. So uh, I I won't I won't say my thoughts on this movie overall because it's uh except for here in a minute because it's time for us to give our final thoughts. We ask the question: Is the stay in the Hall of Memory? Or is it worth visiting today? Tony, what do you think? Yeah, I absolutely think it's worth revisiting, uh, especially if you haven't seen it, you know, since uh, it came out or came out on video. Um, as Nick mentioned, we're, we're 20 years into the ascendancy of superhero cinema. I think this is a great time to revisit it. It's a lot of fun. We've done a lot of gushing. Uh, I don't know that it's uh, it's a it's not a great movie, but it's a very fun movie. Um, and I think it's highs definitely, um, you know, uh, kind of balance out some of the, the, the duller moments in the back half. All right. Nick, what do you think? I think any movie that ends with a smash mouth song <laughs> must be good. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. 
Rat Race ends with a Smash Mouth song. Great movie. Missed, okay, I, only, I really only have two movies I can think of off the top of my head right now. Smash Mouth is in Rat Smash Race. Song. What was that? Smash Mouth is in Rat Race. Right. And they are also in Rat Race, which makes it even better, mm-hmm. to be fair. But yeah, Yikes. I mean, that that alone is like, if you want to watch a movie that ends with a Smash Mouth song, then yeah, you have to revisit Mystery Men. But beyond that, beyond that, it's it's like Tony said, it's a funny movie. It's dumb. I don't even know if it you can say that they were really trying to aim for anything more than what we ended up with. Just that it's funny, it's dumb, it's 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 really clever. It's the characters have a lot of earnest heart, as we've said. Um, it certainly dated in some respects. You know, actually, as I'm saying that, like it is dated, sort of, but there weren't really, I think, that much. There weren't that many things that I didn't feel like weren't relevant today or that were so out of, you know, out of touch with Marvel. I mean, they weren't like whipping out smartphones and stuff, but it like it didn't it wasn't so very much 1999 that it that it wouldn't fit on whatever you were in. Um, so, yeah, I think it's an older film, but it's still fun. I think it's still worth watching today. And uh, now that I've seen it again, I, I hope that it uh, crosses my path again in the near future uh, after I've forgotten everything about it. <laughs> if you couldn't tell by the way that I I've talked about this movie, I have a real love for this movie and didn't diminish. I hadn't seen it in at least a decade, maybe a little bit longer. Um, but I didn't have the reaction that I do to some things that I haven't watched in quite a while, which is like, Oh, uh, ooh, like that didn't age super well. There are lows to the movie. It's not perfect, but I will repeat that sentiment of like, it does exactly what it sets out to do. And there's not a ton of movies, especially not a ton of superhero movies that are like it. And that's something that I really, really love it for. Um, So I think it's absolutely worth seeing it today. It's not going to be for everyone. This is not one of those classics that I think is, you know, everybody should see it and it's going to love it. There's plenty of people that would hate it. Uh, But I think there's also plenty of people that would love it. And if you have seen it, but haven't seen it in a while, definitely check it out. If you have never seen it, but it sounds up your alley, check it out. Um, I think it's a really fun movie. Tony, thank you so much for being on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is, this is great. I love an opportunity to revisit uh, an old favorite, and it was, it was wonderful to chat with you guys. Oh, we'll be happy to have you back again sometime in the future. But in the meantime, where can people find you and what you're up to? Sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Tony Pacitti, and you can follow What Did We Miss on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and wherever uh, you get your podcasts. Uh, we drop episodes every other Wednesday. Excellent. Nice. People, check it out. Nick, thanks for being here, man. Thank you, David. Happy to be here as always. Where can people find you? You can find... <laughs> You can find me on Instagram at palblamshazam underscore art uh, or on Twitter at palblamshazam. And people can find me at Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter and Instagram, and the show, Hit Me One More Pod, social medias, or go to hitmeonemoretime.com slash contact. You can find our email address there. We would love to hear from you, get your opinions on Mystery Men or anything we're talking about. And, uh, you know, if you feel like it, also check out our Patreon, see what we got going on there. Lots of really cool stuff. We'd appreciate it if you threw some money our way. That's going to do it for us this week. Listening audience, 
Thank you so much for being here. We do this show for you. We do this show because of you. Remember, you can't move forward if you're always looking back. We'll see you next time.